Howdy, friends. This is Annie Fonte, and you are listening to the Badass Soul Seeking Warrior podcast. On each episode, I chat with a different guest and ask them to share their stories about what they were doing before they decided to redesign their life, what they're doing now, and how they navigated through the challenges and events in their life to get to where they are today. What realizations and transformations did they experience? What fears did they overcome? And ultimately, how did they create a life that they love? Hello, everyone. I would like to introduce you to my guest today, Nate Payo. He has a uh, degree in construction management from the University of Nebraska. He spent a lot of years in the construction business. He also has an MBA from Pepperdine University. And he's a self-described super connector and loves to bring people together in mutually successful ways. He's also, of course, a proud father, a loving husband, and a fitness enthusiast. And he started his All In podcast in March of this year. Thanks for carving out some time today, Nate, to join us. Thanks for having me on. Really looking forward to chatting with you. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to our conversation as well, because I would guess that most all of us and the folks that are listening at some point in their lives, if maybe not even currently going through this, where they feel a little bit stuck in a rut or in routine, or that they aren't living fully and with intention in their lives. I know you went through this. So can you take a few minutes to kind of walk us through the timeline of when you made a decision to start your podcast and start living with more intention and get out of your comfort zone a little bit and do some pursue some things that you've always wanted to do? Yeah, so I think that journey starts a while ago, a long, long time ago. Um, I remember you know, in, in junior high and high school, thinking I had it all figured out, right? I was going to go to school, uh, I was going to go to college, and then like I had my career mapped out and I was going to get this job out of college and then, you know, work until uh, retirement. It was like all planned, right, in our head. And, you know, things change. I think once you get in the real world, some of your ideas of what you want to do and pursue, you realize like, hey, this isn't, you know, everything I wanted to do. Things change. You meet different people. You're influenced differently. And I ended up switching companies. And when I switched companies, I had gone from working probably like 60, 70 hours a week, plus a, a lot of commute time to more of a 40-hour work week with a lot shorter commute. And that's one of the decisions which led me to go out and pursue my MBA as I had a bit more time on my hands. But I also started doing a lot more self-development, a lot of um, entrepreneurship books. And I discovered a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad and started talking about like, hey, if you really, really, really want to make a, a bunch of money in the world, you can't do it as an employee. You're going to need to go out and be an entrepreneur. And I think that book was a pivotal awakening point where I, where I started having this entrepreneurship itch and I wanted to do it badly. I wanted to chase, you know, fame and fortune and do all these amazing good things. And, and I really didn't have the mindset or the experience at the time, because this was in my twenties. So you know, I would go out and I would try different business ventures throughout my life. And, and I would always go out, think about starting one. Some, you know, would start up and they'd be um, ongoing. Some were just quick ideas and some actually they were my source of income for a few years, but eventually they all failed. And I think 
like at the time when I was going through those experiences, I was like, oh, maybe this entrepreneurship journey is not for me. And I just kind of got carried away with uh, these ideas and I would put it away. And every time I put that idea away, it kind of like scratched at the back of my you know, in my back, I guess, or the back of my head, like, hey, there, there's something more you're called to do. You're looking, you need to make a bigger impact in the world versus just showing up and working a job. So, you know, fast forward a few years, I, I did start some businesses with limited success, but they all seem to have um, this, this consistent theme, which was square peg round hole. Like I was trying to force an entrepreneurship opportunity into a calling and hope it all worked out. And, and what happened was, is I just had some me too businesses. I didn't have anything that was compelling. There was no competitive advantage. There was no compelling story. It was just kind of like, Hey, here's another business. that's just like every other business in the market. And they were just a grind, right? They, they just constant, you know, going through the motions, never getting ahead. And they, they all eventually wound down. And, um, you know, a few years ago, I started having that itch again. And I was like, how could I scratch this itch? I don't really want to go start a business. I don't have any ideas. I don't want to go work for free and hope it all works out again. So what could I do instead? And I thought, you know, what I could do is I could start advising um, startups and CEOs and founders along their business journey, right? And start coaching them some of the things I learned, the lessons I learned along the way with entrepreneurship, but the lessons I learned in business along the way. And so when I started that journey, it was kind of like, hey, I don't know anybody in this space. I don't know what makes a good company. I don't know what makes a bad company. I don't know who a good founder is, a bad founder is. Like, how do you figure that out if you don't know anybody? And I thought, well, Here's what you do. If you know you want to have an interest in something, then you go where those people are, right? So if you have interest in a hobby, you go hang out where that hobby is. If you want to go get in shape, you go hang out at the gym. Like you start putting yourself in positions to meet the people that are going to help you out along the journey. So I started going hanging out with um, incubators, startup incubators, which is like a place for um, startup businesses to work and collaborate on ideas between different businesses and have mentors and helpfully grow their, their idea into a, a start starting business that uh, can grow into something a little bit bigger. So that's why I started getting plugged in and I started meeting some really amazing people. And, and I kind of like noticed uh, another theme occurring in my life is like every time I went out and built a network of connections either it was in my industry or it was outside my industry, my value of my um, network started, you know, showing itself. Like you, you meet these people, the more people you meet, the more problems you can solve and the more problems you can solve, you tend to have more value. And all this was kind of floating in my head that like, Hey, this is, this is pretty amazing. I mean, a lot of people talk about um, network is your net worth, um, but they don't maybe put two and two together that, Hey, what if you deliberately grew your network and not just focused on people like within your industry, but people all over the place. I, that would be a pretty interesting experiment, right? If you just kind of networked like really intentionally for three to five years, see what kind of ex, you know, results came out of it. Just knowing that like, Hey, when you 
look at what you can accomplish in a distant period of time. You tend to underestimate what you're capable of. So like, what if you raise your expectations really high, went all in on it and just see where you, you stood out? So I thought that would be kind of fun to do. And it'd also be kind of fun to document it along the way. That way, if it was like a really successful idea, you had a record of it. Or if it was a colossal failure, you'd have a record of that too. And so I thought, okay, how do you document that? And then this is where like the scary part came in. It was like social media, like, you know, the spooky word, like, oh, you got to post on social media because not everybody wants to be in, uh, quote-unquote influencer, right? They don't necessarily want to showcase their life or they don't want to expose their points of view to maybe get ridiculed. But I kind of knew like, hey, if I wanted to do this big, I needed to be able to put myself out there because anybody that's made a big impact had to put themselves out there, right? If they wanted to tell their story, share their gift with the world, not necessarily like you have to be like Instagram famous, but you have to be willing to tell your story to as many people as you possibly can and develop your tribe. So I was like, okay, this is spooky. I need to do this. And it kind of looking back on my entrepreneurship failures, a lot of it had to do with, I wasn't willing to lean into my expertise lean into get my gifts and lean into being the face of whatever the company was. I always wanted to rely on other people or not put my best efforts forward where they needed to be. There came a point every single time where I got scared and gave up. And I said, hey, this is really it. You're, you're in your 40s. Maybe it's a midlife crisis. And you say to yourself, like, hey, if you're really going to make a difference in the world, you're going to have to put yourself out there. You're going to have to overcome your self-doubt and you're going to have to really grow this network and lean into it. And you're going to have to do it for an extended period of time. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, so this idea that kind of started formulating last year, kind of formulated to posting more, getting comfortable. And then that led to uh, a Gary V. A post where he talked about doing a podcast, which we said like, hey, a podcast is like that kid in high school who wasn't that cool, but his parents went away for the weekend. So he could have the cool kids over to his house for the parties and he became cool by default. That's what a podcast does. It allows you to connect with people you might not have been able to connect with before and maybe punch outside your weight class a little bit, talk to people that have clout that you, you're not like quite at the same level as them. So you can reach up and say, hey, you know, if, if I called up, uh, my favorite author of a book, they're probably not going to take my call and have a 20 minute conversation with me about all their ideas behind their book. But if I have a podcast and I ask them to come on the show, all of a sudden that, that answer is a little different. The answer goes from a hard no to good chance they might even say yes and come on there and do it. And for me, they have. Like I, I've had reached out to authors and they have agreed to come on and talk about their books, which has been really, really cool. So you know, going back to that whole, when it feels uncomfortable and we got to push our comfort zone, um, I said, Hey, the podcast feels really uncomfortable. I need to kind of push into it, lean into it and do it. And so that led me to creating the podcast um, about December is when I started kind of planning it. And it took about till March to get it launched and record the first few episodes. So you have a little bit of a backlog of content. Right. Go out. Let's talk about Let's go back because I think for some of our listeners that are entrepreneurial, they have that itch like you talked about. And especially you said kind of in your 20s, you had this desire for fame and fortune and you dabbled in a lot of things. But in your words, those were failures. Some of that came out of fear and then you gave up. But 
what what was that the common thread through the those not working out for do you do you think those companies that you started and you got to a certain point where you got afraid or you just said ah this isn't for me I, i'm throwing the towel in um i think it's it was falling in love with the idea of being an entrepreneur but really not being patient to have a business that makes business sense right so like you start kicking around ideas and you, and you say well i know this task right like i'm i like we all have some sort of experience we kind of grew up with and we know a bit more than somebody else and we say okay well i can go out and do this and one of them was like a landscape business right and so you know, you think like, hey, if you've been in construction for a lot of years, you can go out and figure out a landscape business, right? It's pretty easy. You go get some pipe, you put the pipe in the ground, put some sprinkler heads on it, plant some plants and trees and stuff like that. Green side goes up, brown side down. Um, pretty, pretty simple, right? And you're like, hey, you could do that. Well, it turns out there's a lot more to it than that, right? Because if you, when, when I started doing that, I was just like, hey, anybody that I can get to be my customer will be my customer, right? And you take any job you can and you do things you're, you're not really good at. And I think most entrepreneurs that have achieved a level of success will tell you like, you got to niche down, you got to niche down. Like for me, I was doing, I was trying to do like high-end landscape and I was trying to do um, this remedial, this was in 2008 too. So the, the housing crash was going on. A lot of people were buying and flipping houses and they would just go and replace the dead sod so they could sell the house. So I was like trying to do high end residential and I was trying to do um, flip dirt cheap stuff. And you're, you're, you're at two ends of the spectrum, but you're just like, I just got to get dollars. And if I get enough dollars, maybe I'll eke out a profit. And instead you're just serving no one because you can't serve anybody really, really well. So, you know, the guys that know how to do stuff really nicely for the high end stuff, don't know how to do the flip stuff. And it just became kind of like this race to the bottom pricing strategy that looking back at what I know now, you go, Hey, you, I, me, I went about that all wrong. Like if I would have really had thought through it, I would have um, identified who the market is I wanted to serve, why I could serve that better than anybody else and had a defining statement. And even um, during, during that period, I was doing my MBA and we had to, for one of our classes, an entrepreneurship class, we had to kind of do a, like a, a faux pitch contest and everybody had like these you know, brainstormed ideas that they were going to do. And I said, well, you know, I've got this landscape business and I might as well just pitch that one because, you know, I'm going to uh, be doing this. Right. And so I went up there and I said, Hey, we're going to compete on the best customer service and, and uh, you know, quality of workmanship and schedule. And then the guys judging the pitch contest go, there's no, everybody's got customer good. Everybody says they got that. Everybody says they got the best. Everybody says they got the best prices. There's, there's like nothing compelling. And I was kind of hard headed. Like I didn't want to hear that. I was like, Oh, these guys don't know. Cause they're not in the industry. They don't know what I know, which is like, I can just pound this out and make it work. And that goes back to square peg round hole was just not being smart enough to step back and say, Hey, look, when you try to serve everybody in your, in your industry, like you're not serving anybody. And most of the businesses that I started ended up in some form or fashion that way, where they were just not really niched down on who they served and how they served it. It didn't add value. It was just like, hey, 
I'm a me too company, right? I'm just another guy out here. You know, if I talk to enough people, I'll sell enough stuff, but I'll never ever get ahead. I'll just be a total grind. So um, that's some of the big lessons I've learned along the way is like, hey, your, your call to action or your differentiator is so important to get that figured out. And once you can really figure it out to serve a really small niche, then you can expand out from that and start serving more people. Yeah, and I'm curious, um, I'm an entrepreneur and I love it. And I'm curious with the conversations you've had with all the folks you've had on your All In podcast, some of them authors, some of them entrepreneurs, some of them very, very successful. I've looked back at some of the ones you've done. Where does, I I agree, we have to to decide what niche we're going to be in and we have to have a, a kind of a clear plan about how we're going to pursue that. And where does passion for what you're doing marry with that plan, that also important plan and getting really clear about who your consumer is and very clear about what differentiates you from everybody else in that space. Um, Because for me in our businesses, I know the the one primary thing that I do either individually or with business partners, the first criteria we have to meet is the service we offer or the product we offer has to help people. We're not doing this just for the almighty dollar. If, if we make a big enough contribution, money will come. So that's kind of how we lay out our determination if we're going to move forward with a product or a service. How about for yourself and for the folks that you've had these conversations with since you've started your podcast? How does that marry together? I, I think the ones that have the most amount of success and the most amount of fulfillment in what they do, they've discovered like what you said your passion is, right? And so their passion is is helping people in a certain way. Like everybody's helping someone in a certain way. And um, there, there's one gentleman that was on my podcast and it was just recently released and he was taking um, uh, like, old uh pocket watches right from like 100 year old pocket watches and he's refurbished them with um like uh you know they they add some some stuff to it so it can have some straps and become a regular watch so these are unique one-of-a-kind watches that you can't get anywhere else so we we're talking about you know who he ideally serves and he's like you know i i really work with with people who are want one of a kind products that nobody else can get they're the types of people that are collectors that are you know maybe they've they've like hey i remember my grandfather Mm-hmm. used to have this pocket watch and and um maybe their family still passes it down to generation generation but what do you do with the pocket watch and they can take your pocket watch and convert it into a real watch or like if you knew what it was they could find you one like it and they're fulfilling this memory and you you can't get that if you're not down to your like if he's like hey i'm passionate about watches because when i first had him on the show i was kind of like every you know like how do you compete with the big brand watch companies, man, they're just, you know, making these wherever and then slapping labels on them. Like you can't compete. But then when I found out how niche down he got and everybody's in that spot too, where they've niched down further and further and further to the point of like, this is why they are so able to serve somebody identically. So you and me, we, we both have our own journey in life. Right. And, yes. and, 
and different experiences have brought us to where we're at. And so if you told me, or if you told your audience a story and I told the exact same story word for word, I might not resonate with them or you might not resonate with all those people because of how relatable we are to other people's journey in life. So if somebody has similar experiences to it and we make an impact on them, they go, hey, I've seen that there's a way to do something I didn't think was possible by somebody that very similar to me that did it. And if they can do it, I can do it. And so for me, the people that I've noticed that really, really marry passion with um, success has been, they've just really dove down so niche and developed a loyal like tribe of people that just love rave and, and, and follow them anywhere. And then once that tribe has become like rock solid, then they started kind of boom, 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 expanding. And they weren't trying to like go out and say, Hey, look at me. I'm a life coach today. I'm going to help anybody that comes my way. No, they're like, Hey, like, like one of the examples was, uh, my coach Heather, she she started coaching this other lady that does uh, sex education training, but then she niched it down to sex education training for Jewish parents teaching teenage daughters about it. So like it's 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 broad, but then it gets so niched down to very specifically how do people that have that same background as her talk to their kids about sex education, and that's very relatable if you're that profile. And so like all of a sudden you're, you're like really into it and your, your, her practice starts growing because of it. And then it expands and expands and it's able to reach more people. But if you just said, Hey, I just coach sex education for teenagers. It's like, Ooh, what's why your story over anybody else's. So it's all about <coughs> really driving down home what your experience is related to what you talk about or what your product is you're putting out there. Yeah, and I think a lot of people um, seek to learn from or get counsel from folks who've actually been there, done that. There's a lot of, quote, life coaches in the world, or they say they're life coaches out there today. But I really, as much as I can learn and appreciate from a 23 or 24-year-old, they have certain things they can teach me about probably technology and being in their age category and the culture that they live in and, and those types of the, how they think through their days and what is it important to go get a higher education? Is it not? Is it better to go to vocational school? I can learn that from them, but I don't want to learn from a 23 year old about life coaching when they have, you know, 20 years less of experience underneath their feet than I do. I want to I want to go learn that from somebody who's been there, done that, failed, succeeded, maybe failed again, really been in the trenches as far as what it takes to, you know, put one foot in front of the other each day. So I, I appreciate that you bring that up. I'm curious for you, having gone through this and have this, you know, a lot of road behind you that's taught you a lot. What are your habits for success? Um well, let me define what I think success is. First, I, I don't just define it as dollars in your bank account or cars in the driveway, right? Those could be success measurements if that's what you're passionate about. But I think for me, a generic form of, of, of success is living up to your potential and making an impact on the world the best you can, whatever that, that might be. And, you know, for me, 
that that involves helping a lot of people that involves uh, making connections. And I started noticing that I was pretty good at connecting people and not just like, Hey, me and you, let's have a conversation and what can we do for each other? But no, who do I know that could benefit from knowing you and who do I, who do you know, or maybe who, who, who could I introduce to you that would benefit you too, right? Or just constantly making introductions to, to help others out. And um, for me, that became a big focus of my success was, was leaning into the, to the network thing. So I take that pretty seriously and, and I have some habits that, that lead to that. Um, I'm a big believer of trying to get on the phone uh, with at least two people a day, you know, not every day is two and some days it's three, some days it's zero, but trying to have a conversation with two people every day and make two introductions to somebody, not like, Hey, I'm doing this uh, for something to get back, but just like, Hey, what are you up to? Two people that would benefit knowing you or you would benefit or they would benefit knowing you and then make those introductions. And if I do that consistently every day over the course of a year, I'll have had 500 conversations with people and I'll have made a thousand introductions. And if I've made a thousand introductions in one year, don't, doesn't that like feel like it would make, start making a ripple effect difference? And I think it does. You might not ever see the ramifications of it, but when I go out there and I say, am I making a difference? And I don't know. And somebody calls me up that I haven't talked to in four months and says like, Hey, I'm really inspired by what you've been doing and because of what you did. I went out and chased a passion project of my own and I learned a new skill or I found a new job or I did something I didn't think I was capable of doing and I was able to accomplish it. And you're like, Oh my God, that feels pretty good that I made a difference in somebody's life. And they and they attribute that to uh, the message I share with people. So that inspires me to keep going. That's one of the things I do do daily is, is try to keep those relationships going. Um, try to make new ones, try to make sure the old ones stay warm and just constantly try to uh, bring people that are like-minded that can support each other together. Great. Um, tell me, uh, speaking of habits of creating some success and fulfillment, I, I think the ultimate failure is success without fulfillment. So that fulfillment piece is really important. And I like your definition of success where you're really contributing to other folks. I, I'm guessing that one of the resources or tools that you have embraced is reading, whether it's blogs, good books, articles, certain publications. What are some of your top reading resources um, that you would like to share with our audience? Um, it's, it's funny you bring that up because I used to be a very avid reader. I read constantly and I would, I would read self-development books and I would read fiction books and I'd read nonfiction books and biographies and I'd read, you know, the, the classics. I just loved reading. And then, I don't know, along came social media, smartphones. And over time that eroded where um, like, you'd have moments to check out and read a book, right? You might go, I'm gonna go read for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. But now instead of reading for 20 or 30 minutes, you get caught up scrolling uh, your feeds of social media, or I would get caught up reading um, Reddit. And uh, Reddit is like this, I don't know, bulletin board site on the internet. And, and it's got like everything possible. So like you could get sucked into the latest in the politics and just read it, whatever your heart's content about whatever your policies are, they're interested. 
or you could just even get like kind of wrapped up on uh, random trivia. Like you, there's like a, a, a things I learned thread and you just kind of like learn all these like random facts and like you can get sucked into that for um, hours. And, and then all of a sudden I'm not reading anymore and I'm not getting like an education outside of the internet and I'm kind of limiting myself. And so over the last year, I've been more intentional of, of reading more. I'm trying to read at least 10 pages a day from a real book, not a fake, uh, not, not a fake book, but like a, not a digital book, like a, like, because even if I had it like a book on my phone, I would find myself switching from the app back to social media. And so this is for me has been a huge game changer with starting to read books and starting to get back into the habit of reading daily. And then instead of like, like you start off just like, Hey, I want to read 10 pages, but sometimes you're reading 20 or 30. And so instead of like, Hey, I read my 10 pages in the morning before while I was drinking my coffee, but maybe later in the afternoon, instead of scrolling Facebook, I grab my book and I read another 10 pages. And when you start exposing yourself to ideas in the book, like I'm, I'm a big believer in the books. Like they inspire you to other ideas. They inspire your creativity and they inspire you to action upon things. So when you read these books, they influence your ideas and your ideas um, start influencing the actions you take. And then the actions you take always lead to an outcome, whether it's a good outcome or a bad outcome it's going to take you. So if you're, if you're changing the ideas in your mind, you're more likely going to start taking action in a positive direction or, or, you know, something towards what you believe is fulfillment. And so when you sit there and go, ah, I'm not fulfilled in what I'm doing, then you go, well, what am I doing? That's not bringing me towards fulfillment. And then if you reverse engineer it, you go, oh crap, here's, here's why I'm taking these steps that give me anxiety or taking these steps that give me, um, you know, it's filling my head with, with, stuff that's not productive. Like you, there's so much stuff you just take out of your life. Like, you know, an example right now is if you go on the, the, the newsfeed, it's just like the world looks like it's in chaos. Right. But you look out your window and it's calm, right? There's the, you, you can't tell any craziness is going on. And so it's at one hand, it's like, yes, the world is, is in a really weird place right now. But on the other hand, there's a, there's a calmness to it. If you take the chaos out and you're in control over what you can control and a lot of that worldly stuff out there you can't do it you can participate and you can and you can try to make uh change in what you believe is positive change but at the same time a lot of it is just getting kind of caught up in the 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 what do they call it like uh, the mob mentality of just you know chasing whatever everybody's fired up about and but you're not really doing any anything productive with it. You're just kind of running with everybody else. And so if you can step back from that, feed your mind more positive stuff, more self-reflective stuff, you're going to find where you can find that fulfillment. So do you have a book that you're reading from right now? Your 10, 20 pages? Um, the book I just started yesterday is a, a book called Profit First. Um, it's been around for a little bit. It, it's pretty interesting um, take because a lot of entrepreneurs uh, find that they run out of money, right? They don't, they, and most businesses fail, right? Because they run out of money, regardless of what industry you're in. Like if, if you go back to every business I failed, like they ran out of money. Like it wasn't like, it, it got frustrated. It just got to the frustrating point of like, hey, there's no money left and I don't want to do what it takes to go make this work with no money yep. and build it back up for nothing again. So 
this one teaches you how to um, take the profit first, take paying yourself first, and then what's left you use to pay your expenses and tries to get you to take another accurate look at what is necessary in your expenses. And it's kind of like a little bit of a take of Dave Ramsey's five envelopes theory where you, you, you put your money where it's supposed to go and you, you know, do some snowball effects. So I haven't gone through the book. I've only been like about 40 pages into it, but a lot of people had recommended it to me. It's a good mindset book for an entrepreneur to, you know, especially if you're starting out, to get the right mindset of earning money and not just trying to go like, Hey, when I, when sales get to a certain point, then I'll make money. Like, no, you should be planning to make money from the beginning. Cause as long as you got cash flow, positive money in the bank, your business can operate when you run out of money. It doesn't matter how good your ideas are, or how fulfilling it is, or how many people you serve. You can't serve too well when you got no money. So that that's a really good book. Um, that I think I've learned a bunch from, but I've been reading a ton of, ton of stuff lately. Good for you. I'm a, I'm a voracious reader. I, I always have a book with me. Even I have them in my truck. I have them at my desk. I, everywhere I go, I always have, and I, I use the physical book because I think you brought up a really good point. It's really easy to get sucked into Facebook and Instagram and whatever people do, even audio audible books. I I'm okay with that, especially when I'm traveling or commuting back and forth from my office. But I, as you said, it is also as easy just to go, oh, I'm just going to sneak over here because my little bell went off and somebody I know is going live on Instagram. So you get sucked into it really, really quickly. I think there's a lot of resources and there's a lot of information that's available through the internet to us. And I also think it's probably one of um, not necessarily the worst things that's ever happened to our society, but I think it hasn't. I think it hasn't helped us in a lot of ways. It's It's been positive in many ways, but there's been some negative effect to it. So I think your strategy of actually having to physically pick up a book and turn the pages and highlight them and make notes is a good one for sure. Let's, let's revisit something we talked about earlier too, because all of us, we're human beings, right? We, we come into this world and we find at some points in our lives, whether it's something that we choose on our own or something that's passed along to us by hopefully well-intentioned people that we run into this thing called fear. What's your biggest fear and how do you manage that? My biggest fear is probably not being able to live up to what I think I'm capable of doing. And because of that, playing small, I think everybody has this innate fear of, hey, I can't go out and do something, right? Like, and I use this as an example. If you have a job and somebody's paying you a certain dollar value for, for your expertise and your skill, and you say, okay, that's great. I can collect this income, but could I go out and do it on my own? And we go, no, there's no way I could. There's, there's no way I could. But when you think about it and you said, Hey, if somebody thinks that this information is valuable and enough to pay me this amount of money, wouldn't the world find at least equivalent of that same value, maybe more because you can give that knowledge or that skill set to more people. Right. And so, so we, we play small or I play small because I, I, I have fear of like, what if I can't do it? What if it doesn't take off the what if, what if, what ifs. And so, because I have these what ifs, then 
I don't take action. And then when I don't take action, then I have fear that I'm playing safe and I'm playing small and that I'm not living up to my expectations. So then I need to think and play big again. And when I think and play big, I get scared. And then when I play small, I get scared. And so I'm in this constant fear zone of, of where do I fit in in the world and what's wrong with me? Why can't I just be content with being in the moment or being, being where I'm at? And uh, it reminds me of a movie, Moana by Disney. And Moana is uh, the, the young island girl that's supposed to become the queen. And she is supposed to stay on the island and she's supposed to lead her people and she's supposed to be happy for what she has, but yet she still keeps going to the ocean and she's, she wants to go past the reef. And, the, and the, her, her father says, no, we don't go past the reef. We don't do that. We stay here, but she's compelled to do it. And she keeps asking herself, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just be happy for here where I am? And, and that I think, scares me the most, you know? Mm -hmm. And how do you manage that? I think you have to accept that it's going to be there and it's there for a reason. Um, you know, as humans and the species of humans, um, we were, uh, you know, had instincts that we had to go beyond what was known to provide for you know, our tribe or our group of people that we're in, our families. And so we had to do that. But at the same time, there's scary stuff out there, right? There could be other tribes or could be animals or could be uh, weather. And so we have to be worried about that too. So we're also protective of where we're thin. I think that thing um, expands out. And somebody once asked me like, hey, if you had all your Maslow's hierarchy filled, do you think you'd start looking for fulfillment jobs or would you still be out there looking for, um, you know, getting your shelter and your food needs met? And I thought about it and I said, well, as you get older in life, no matter where it was, you become a bit of a mentor, right? You, you're, you're, when you're, even if you're in a caveman style, you're still out there as a young person trying to um, find food and find shelter. But as you become an elder in the group, now you're de uh, describing your wisdom on others to help them uh, carry on a legacy. And I think um, you just have to, you just have to lean in and um, push past it, you know, except fear is going to be there. Um, use it wisely, but know if you put one foot in front of the other on this journey, you can, you can, you know, find out where this destination is. It might not be exactly where you think it's going to be, but it'll be where it is. And you have to realize like, what is the worst outcome? Is that something you couldn't rebound from? And the answer is no, because unless you just stopped, right? Unless you just said like, oh, I, I tried to do something and it failed. So I'm just going to sit here on this rock and never move again. Then like, yeah, like your life could never get better from that, right? But if you just accept like, hey, that was just a moment in time, there's going to be good, there's going to be bad, but we're going to keep progressing, then you shouldn't necessarily be scared to take those steps that you feel compelled to do. Yeah, I um, 
My life changed the day that I made fear my friend. You know, you wrestle with fear and you get it all taken care of and you get it mounted over the fireplace. And then the next morning you wake up and it's standing on the floor ready to do battle with you again. So I, I came to the conclusion one day, I think it was through a meditation. I do a lot of walking meditations. And I thought, you know, fear is such a good friend to me. It's loyal. It's consistent. Seems like it's always there. So why don't I just make it my friend? And so what do I mean by that? I said, okay, fear reminds me that I have allowed myself to fall out of alignment with my authenticity or my true self. And it's also pulled me away from the present moment. So every time fear comes up, I can just say, thank you for the reminder and get my ass back in the saddle. That's the reason I called my book, Keep Your Ass in the Saddle. <laughs> and um, allow it a seat at the table. Yeah, have a seat. I know you're there. I, and I can physically see you. I know you're there. You're part of the family and that's okay. And you have a role to play and a, and a place that, that you can hang out and have permission to be. That really changed things for me because now when I have fearful thoughts, I, I just say, thank you. And it puts me right back into the present moment, number one. And it says that I need to get back in alignment. I've somehow gotten myself off toward the ditch a little bit. So I, uh, I was curious as to what your fear is. And I think a lot of people's fear is that they won't live up to their highest potential. It's a conversation that I was having with someone just the other day on a podcast. And I said, here's what I don't want to have happen. When I decide I'm leaving this physical plane and I go meet God and God says, hey, here's the destiny. Here's the life I created for you. This was, this was my plan for you. And I look at that and I don't recognize anything about it. That would mm -hmm. suck. But yep. if I look at it and kind of do fist pump, man, we nailed it. That's what I want. So, yep. you know, and, and to letting go is also a big component of fear kind of being more mild in our life. I think sometimes we as humans want to control things so much and we're not just willing to let go and let things be as they are and trust in that. So that certainly helped me a lot, but I appreciate you sharing um, your thoughts about fear with us today. Um, another question for you, um, who or what's had the most influence in your life and, and how has that shown up? Um, you know, my first real role model, real influence was probably my, my grandpa when I was growing up. I think he was somebody that always encouraged me to um, do things right and, and live up to like, I guess, potential at the time, like going to college and getting a job after college was like, there was, there was no fear in that. That was just like, Hey, the, this is just what you do. This is what like, I was told from a young age, like, Oh, you're going to graduate from high school and then you're gonna go to college and then you're gonna get a job and engineering is a really good field to go into. You should go into engineering, which construction management is a, a division of engineering. And it was just like, okay, like, Sure. Like there was no hesitation of like, am I going to get into college or am I going to get a, a graduate? Like they were just kind of like sh show up, g get it done. Go like if you show up every day and do it, you got it done. And, and getting a job was very much the same. Like my, my grandpa was like, yeah, there's good jobs in these, these fields. And so I just assumed I'd have a good job and I would always be employed. And that was always uh, uh, safe. So I think that was somebody that really encouraged me um, early on that just just believed in me. And because they believed in me, I had no doubt that they were going to have happen. 
Um, and then as I've, you know, moved on, I think, um, you know, a lot of authors have had initial influence of changing my thoughts and changing my patterns. Um, my wife's been a big supporter and a big believer in me, even though I do uh, stuff all the time and kind of, you know, do think without, uh, or react without thinking um, type, type activities. Uh, she's always kind of said, you know, we'll get it figured out and don't worry if it doesn't work out, I got your back. I, I've done it before and I can do it again. So I know that there's a good uh, support that, you know, I always have a, a net if, if I fall. Um, and then there's just been a ton of people recently through this journey that have encouraged me to do more, right? They, they've said like, hey, these are your gifts. They started identifying like when you say like, hey, I want to go down this path. Like, you know, when you say like, hey, I want to be a life coach or I want to influence people's lives. And they start saying, hey, you got to be niched down. And here's where we see your gifts are. Your gift is in building relationships. Your gift is in encouraging and supporting others. Your gift is in inspiring others to, to live up to their potential. And you start realizing that you're making a difference. I think all those people added up starts kind of going, hey, maybe, maybe I am able to do this. And I used to think of it as like when I was part of a team, that was really exciting and was really positive, really motivating. Like one of those teams were just like, Hey, we kicked a bunch of butt. Right. And, and uh, we, we nailed these projects. It was so fun. It was so exciting. Like I just assumed that I was part of the team and along for the ride. And what I've learned is some of those times I was actually the, the one leading the charge, I just didn't realize it. And, and I just like set the pace for everybody else to perform at a higher level. And I think once I've started to realize that, not from my own observations, but other people saying like, hey, when you come in, there's a different level of energy that comes into the room. And when you add that energy to um, certain people, like, like I'm, I'm, there's a few people that if I go into a room with, we're like two plus one plus one equals three, right? We're like, this is like a huge dynamic and I bring out the best in them, they bring out the best in me and then we just light the room up because we're together. And, you know, it's not quite the same if one of us is missing. I think that's where I've started to, to find my gifts. I forget what your question was, but I was kind of rambling on there for a bit. No, that's okay. We were talking about what, what or who has been the most influential in your life. So you, you answered it for sure. Um, speaking of all that, you, in addition to your all in the all in podcast, you have an academy that you teach online courses and you do a lot of work, um, and a lot of coaching for people as to how to really use LinkedIn as an effective connection tool, especially for business B2B and, um, people who might, uh, be in the sales business. And they're always wondering what the, the mindset of the purchasing side is. So you offer those types of services through your, not only in, are you doing a podcast, but you also have created courses and you do a lot of coaching and, and counseling with folks. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I've been in basically a purchasing role for at least 20 years of my career. And I was one of those people that hated networking and didn't understand the value of building relationships. But I think as you move through your career, you realize it's less about like 
what you can physically do yourself, like enter data into a computer and you know, did you do it or not do it in one day or two days? And then you have an immediate result, right? As you grow in your career, or you grow in your business, it becomes more about leadership and bringing a team of people that can solve problems and get these tasks done. And the more resources you have to bring in and solve these problems, the bigger the teams, the better the teams you can assemble, the, the better your value is. And I started looking at that as like, hey, what, who are these salespeople that I could bring into my network to help build what I was trying to do with the companies I worked for and supported? And the, and the better relationships I had with them, the better overall we performed. The projects always did. It was always the better the relationship relationship, the, the, the better the outcome was. And I worked, there was like two schools of thought kind of coming up through my industry is one is you relied on relationships to get shit done. And the other one was, um, the, the other teams trying to get in your back pocket. They're trying to take advantage of you. They're trying to, you know, make it rough for you. And the people that always had that attitude, they didn't tend to stick around that long. They tended to, um, wash out. And so I started helping some of my um, favorite vendors. I like to call them frienders, which is the word friend plus vendor is like, hey, you know, we do really good together. Let me help you coach you to make more connections, to do more business. Not like I did it intentionally, just like, hey, I want to see them succeed. So they, we just talk shop, be like, hey, you could do this, you could do that. And just kind of developed that these, these relationships became really powerful. And they were, the more I offered them, the more I could rely on them to trust me. And like, like I felt like I was actually getting the bit more benefit out of the relationship than they were getting out of like, oh, they just like you because you're buying stuff from them. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure we've developed a pretty strong rapport because it's not just about the, the, the direct one-on-one -on -one relationship, but how we serve all their needs and values. And so I started kind of talking talking to some people uh, about what I wanted to do. And they're like, hey, that is something that just doesn't exist on the market, right? It's, it's a niche product. And I was like, ah, it's crazy. Like, I can't go ask my vendors, like, you know, you wanted me to coach you on sales. Like, I don't know anything about sales. And, and um, one of the guys that, that talked to me about it, he's like, nobody else is doing that. And when I was in B2B sales, if I could have gotten some insight from the person I was trying to sell from, I don't, you don't know how valuable that would have been to me to know what works and what doesn't. And so I started kind of reaching out and asking like, Hey, if I talked about these things, would you find it valuable? And people did. And so I was like, Hey, the more I thought about it, the more niche it became. And I was like, Hey, it's starting to make sense. It's a way to find that fulfillment. It's a way to serve the people. It's, it's niche. It's around my passions. It's combining passions with expertise and it's starting to check all those boxes of really what it really needs to be. And then again, it, fearful, right? Like, can I do this? Am I good enough to do this? And, and, and those doubts sit inside my head and it's like, okay, we have to push the limit. We have to see if the doubts are holding you back or if it's really something else. And, and most of the time it, it's these doubts. And so that's what I started to do. And, and I love helping um, people out. I, I love it when I can go, Hey, like, Hey, how can I make an introduction to this other company? How can we make a relationship there? And they I can say, Hey, thanks for the introduction. Like the business turned out really great. And they've grown their, you know, the salesperson's grown their business. The person that got introduced, got their problem solved, did some great products that they needed to get, you know, around. And it's like, Hey, what, 
I love that feeling. Like that is fulfillment to me rather than just checking the box for the next promotion, the next raise, whatever that might be. Um, so that's kind of what it really is, is taking, um, showing B2B salespeople how to, um, prospect you know nobody likes doing the cold call so we say hey the cold call's dead let me show you how to warm up a relationship using linkedin find the people you want to get connected to let me show you a way to become familiarized with them and they're familiar with you before you have a reach out and then when you do have a final communication it's not cold that you know who each other are and you've developed a level of expertise and knowledge and trust so that when you go into that conversation and you talk about the products you're offering, it's not just like, Hey, look at how great my products and my company is, but you're talking about, Hey, here's some real value that I can do to support what your needs are. And that, that relationship is built on trust. And once that relationship's built on trust, it's hard hard to break that because people don't want to hire an unknown outcome. They want to know that they're getting served appropriately. And if you can show that you're the best known outcome, chances are you're not going to lose that account. Yeah, that's, that's all good stuff. And I'll, I'll make sure to put the links to your website and all of your social media um, in the show notes here for folks. But before we wrap up, what can we expect next from you, Nate? What's up next? What's up next? Um, I'm really going to be leaning into this uh, full time, I'm looking to grow um, my coaching practice. I want to uh, teach others how to build better relationships, how to network better, how to um, lean into the power of personal relationships and just really try to make an impact of serving others first um, to do business versus, you know, this cutthroat uh, win it all cost attitude. So that would be a big goal for me. And I look, I look to serve that through um, my online training, some co uh, individualized coaching. And I really think there's going to be some uh, relationship focused networking events on a bigger scale in the future. Great. Well, we look forward to that. So I invite all of you to go to Nate's website, check out his social media. He's on Instagram and Facebook, and um, he's got a lot to learn. He's got a lot to teach you if you're willing to learn. I, I've looked at some of your things, especially on LinkedIn. Anybody who's interested in learning more of the tricks and the, the ways to navigate through LinkedIn, Nate has a lot of good information about that. So once again, Nate, thanks so much for joining me today. I really did appreciate our conversation and your honesty about it. And uh, we'll keep track of you and see how, uh, see how you march on. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. That's a wrap on this episode of the Badass Soul Seeking Warrior podcast, where we focus on creating a life that we love. And until we meet again, stay true and be you.